Lord, may that be real. May it make our hearts beat faster. May it capture our attention and all of our thoughts, because there's no other day, no other thought more worthy than that day. Lord, we hold you precious this morning, and we commit our service and the GK classes and all that is said and done here into your hands for your glory. Amen. Good morning. My name is John Fairchild. I'm an interim pastor here at Grace for a few more weeks, um, but uh, uh, I would like to now release the children to Grace Kids. Off they go to their classes. You can meet your volunteer person at the door, and they'll guide you down there. The rest of us will stay here, and uh, we'll be... Uh, Reading from uh, Colossians chapter 4, we're not quite done with Colossians yet. If you've been coming here lately, you'll know, you'll know that we've gone through the book of Colossians. It's only four chapters, and we've covered it for the past four Sundays, but I'm going to take just a little bit longer in it this morning, and I'll explain that as we, uh, as we go along. Uh, in the second service, uh, just before the message, I'm going to... Uh, have Kate Wadsworth from our one of our church families, the Wadsworth family. Uh, Kate is going, she's one of our young adults, and she's headed off to uh, Uganda for six months on a special mission. Uh, she, we won't do it this morning because uh, she's in the second service, but uh, we'll pray over her and send her on her way. She's going to be working with the Watoto Child Care Ministries, caring for orphans, orphan children aged newborn to three years old. Uh, what a what a task! So I just wanted you to know that that you could uh, be praying for her and uh, as she goes, not just going for six weeks, she's going for six months. So uh, that's uh, that's an awesome, um, and she's an awesome person uh, to for us to be able to send over there and and uh, commit that to the ministry of of uh, of the gospel. Let me pray for her right now, even though she's not here. Lord, thank you for Kate for her her faithful, quiet, rock-solid uh, testimony and love of you. And we commit her to Uganda and to the Watoto Child Care Ministry. Thank you for them, for the work that they do, the care that they give to children and orphans. We just uh, pray that you would watch over Kate in every way, physically, mentally, relationally, and spiritually. And uh, may she spread abroad the fragrance of Christ and be the hands of Christ and the voice of Christ in that place where she'll be for a few months. Praying in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, the title this morning is The Holy Kiss. I've had people kind of looking at me funny this week, uh, what's, what's coming up, that's kind of a provocative title. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> you ever have one of those moments where you kind of make a choice and then a few days later you're wondering, what was I thinking? Um, well, and we'll find out what I was thinking uh, soon enough. Don't worry, nothing weird is going to happen. Uh, but uh, there is a verse, there are several verses in Scripture which tell the early Christians to greet one another with a holy kiss. So I just thought that'd be worth thinking about a little bit this morning and applying to ourselves and our own, uh, our own church here at Grace. Uh, there are three factors that affected my choice uh, of, this, of this particular topic this morning. The first one was, as I was rereading in Colossians 4, uh, and studying it recently, I noticed a little four-letter word repeated uh, four different times in the book, three of those times in the last chapter. So we'll read that last chapter, and we'll notice that word, because I thought, I just want to draw attention to it and, uh, and, and refresh us in how important it is. Uh, it's the word dear, D-E-A-R. 
uh, and uh, I'll explain that in a moment. And uh, the second thing that's influencing me this morning is uh, having just thought about the word deer for a while, uh, shortly thereafter I read, I, I came across an essay uh, called The Holy Kiss. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it was a little bit of an exploration of that topic, and so that triggered in my mind, uh, that's, that's worth drawing to our attention uh, as a church. And then the third thing that was affecting me this morning is that we are here on September the 10th, 2023, heading into the fall season, back to two services, like it's like launching your little craft out into the water, out onto the big waters, and, uh, and I just wanted us to catch the moment. And, uh, and to remember what's most important as we sail out of the harbor into a fall that will have many changes in it, uh, for sure. Good changes, I trust and hope. And, uh, and so I want us to be aware of that and be prayerful and ready. So uh, let's, uh, let's continue here. Uh, remember the church in Colossae was the city in uh, western Turkey today. It would be. Doesn't exist anymore, that city, but it did in Paul's day. There was a church planted there, and they were simply referred to as the Colossians. And the letter was the letter to the Colossians. And, uh, but uh, they would have been, let's get the context here before we read the final verses of chapter 4 again. They would have been, uh, I don't know, we have no idea how large their church was. It might, might have been 50 people. It might have been 200. Uh, we have no idea. I'll, I'll just call it a small church. Uh, they uh, were brand new to the faith, brand new to a brand new faith. Christianity was just beginning to move in, out into the world. It might have been 20, 30 years since Jesus had been on the earth when the Colossian church was, was formed. We've been 2,000 years since then, but theirs was a brand new faith. They were brand new Christians, and they were a little group of Christians, uh, I'll use the word, huddled together. In a, in a swirling storm of context around them, culture, uh, there were, there were as, as we've been studying and talking about, there were uh, strange religions and philosophies that these little Christians lived amongst. Remember the Gnostics? There were uh, so some radical uh, Jewish teachers teaching that uh, Christianity wasn't enough. You still needed to be a Jew, and they had to deal with that. There was astrology was strong, philosophy was strong in, the, in that culture influenced by the, by the Greeks. And, uh, and so they would have been this little group of Christians, and I only want to say they would have seen each other as very precious. It's just us. It's kind of like us against the world, right? And, uh, and so I want you to listen to the, to the love uh, that existed in this little church as they, as they huddled together and uh, lived for Christ in their day and age. So we'll read uh, in Colossians 4, we'll start in verse 7. It'll be uh, slide 1, I think, coming up onto the screen. And uh, as Paul ends his letter, as he does in many of his letters, he refers personally to some people by name that he either he knew that lived there in that city or that he knew that they knew that were with him, colleagues of his. And so he'll mention some names here. And uh, I, I just noticed that uh, he, in, in, the, in the translation that I was kind of raised on, the New American Standard Bible, it refers to people as being beloved. And that's kind of a bit of an older word, right? And I would read beloved and think, yeah, beloved, whatever, and move on. But uh, in the New International Version, which I'm going to read from here, um, Paul calls these people dear, dear friend, 
dear fellow minister. And it, for some reason, it just caught my eye, the endearment and the dearness that existed between these Christians. Let's read Colossians 4, 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother. There's the first one. A faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. <clears throat> you know, someday we'll meet Tychicus, the dear brother. Verse 8, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, Onesimus our faithful and, ready? Our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. By the way, Onesimus is the name of, the, of a central character in the little book of Philemon. And Onesimus had been a runaway slave. And he had been restored to his, to his master. Uh, and Paul wrote a letter telling them to love each other, respect each other. It wasn't the type of terrible slavery that, that, that we, we think of. It was more of an employer-employee uh, sort of thing. But anyhow, Onesimus now has risen to a place of leadership in the church. I think that's amazing. And, and they, they accepted it and, and, uh, and embraced it. And Paul calls Onesimus here a dear brother. Verse 10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, <clears throat> mature and fully assured. I vouch for him, that's Epaphras, that he is working hard for you and for all those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. They seem to, they must have known Luke and Demas. I could hear them reading this and kind of looking at each other. Luke sends his greetings, our dear friend Luke. He's the guy that wrote the book of Luke. And he was a doctor. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And the fourth usage of the word dear is actually in the first chapter. We, we won't be able to show it on the screen. But Paul introduces Epaphras in verse 7. And he says, you learned it, the gospel, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and also told us of your love in the spirit. So if we use the word dear and would describe someone as a dear friend and, and, and the word is a, is, it's a beautiful word. It's, uh, it, it conveys affection. An affectionate or friendly form of address, the dictionary says, to consider someone as precious, valuable, or loved. Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, Tychicus, he's a dear brother. 
Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Luke, our dear friend. Just wanted us to notice that. My prayer is that we would consider each other dear. That we would speak of my dear sister, my dear brother, my dear fellow worker at Grace, uh, and that love would be at, at the center of it all. I want you to notice, though, that not all of these dear brothers and sisters would be your favorite personality type. Mm -hmm. As we know, there are introverts and extroverts. You might have your favorite. There are highly organized people, and shall we just say not so highly organized people? There are goal-driven people, type A, and there are spontaneous, laid-back, easygoing, don't have a clue what I'm going to be doing 10 minutes from now, people. But they're fun to be around. There are intense personalities and there are the easygoing, relaxed ones. And yet, all of our differences need to eventually bow down to love. Why? Because we follow Christ and his love covers all differences. You can call anybody of any personality and temperament type, my dear sister, my dear brother. And so we should. Okay, let's talk about the holy kiss. In the past, when I've read the verses that instruct the early Christians to greet one another with a holy kiss, and there were five of them, and I'll show them to you in a moment, I used to always say to myself, well, that's a cultural thing. We don't do that anymore. Let's move on to the next verse. Uh, you might recall last fall I gave a sermon on the tears of the church and how important tears are in our interactions. Tears of joy, even sharing tears of sorrow. Tears of love. Tears when someone was, was leaving and you might never see them again. Because tears represent genuine, hot feelings. And we need to be a church that has feelings and expresses those towards one another. So the tears of the church last fall, the kisses of the church this morning. In the Old Testament, there were lots of kisses described in the narrative. It was a very Jewish thing and a very cultural thing. True, it was cultural for sure. It wasn't a romantic or sexual act at all. It was an act of affection and an expression of being family, an expression of I love you and we share a love together in God, in Christ. In Genesis, Jacob kissed his father Isaac. In 1 Samuel, Jonathan and David, two macho young warriors and best friends, kissed and wept as they knew they were parting forever. It's always a touching passage when we read of Jonathan and David kissing and weeping together. In Acts 20, in the New Testament, Paul was leaving the Ephesian Christian leaders, the elders, and they all knew they would never meet again on earth. And we read this. When he, Paul, had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Maybe they just lined up to kiss Paul. Goodbye. We love you. Can't say enough thanks to you for all you've taught, brought the gospel to us. They all wept and they embraced him and kissed him. There are two famous kisses in the gospels, the gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
One is uh, the woman in Luke 7. <clears throat> Remember her? She was uh, uh, a woman who was a kind of a notorious sinner, possibly a, a prostitute in, in the town, the city where she lived. But uh, she experienced in the presence of Jesus forgiveness, acceptance, and her life was changed. And we read that she was kneeling at his feet, repeatedly kissing his feet. Just the, she's thinking, how can I express my love in the strongest possible way? And she, in, in humility, knelt and kissed his feet and shed tears on his feet. It's a beautiful picture. And then there's the most infamous kiss in all of history. When Jesus was in the garden and Judas had left him and decided he would betray Jesus and hand him over to the uh, authorities, and so he came, and as he was bringing his entourage of soldiers and authorities, his agreement with them was uh, there, there was a crowd, and it was dark, and how would you identify and get the right man, kind of surgically remove him from, from the rest? And, uh, and so he said, the one that I kiss is the one you must arrest. And then he went straight to Jesus, and he said, hail, Rabbi, and he kissed Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I think that's what you call irony. There are five different instances <coughs> in the uh, Apostle Paul and Peter's letters to the early Christians where they instructed the, their fellow Christians to greet one another with a holy kiss, or as Peter puts it, greet one another with a kiss of love. So let's just see them. <coughs> and, and you know they're always at the end of the letter. I wonder if in placing this little command at the end of the letter, if Paul or Peter is saying, and having said all that I've said, last but not least, don't forget this. So let's look at slides two, three, and four, just, just to show them to you. They're almost verbatim the same. Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, the end of 1 Corinthians. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And 2 Corinthians at the end, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, greet all God's people with a holy kiss. And lastly, 1 Peter 5, 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. It's been noted that this would have been probably very natural and normal to do. Christians used to meet in homes and in smaller venues, kind of like house churches. And maybe there would just be a few there and you would greet one another with that kiss of love or that holy kiss. As churches grew larger and larger, of course, it gets more and more difficult to, uh, to do this. Uh, uh, you can't go around and kiss everybody, especially if there's 500 people present. Uh, and so, uh, uh, but you would find a way to, to greet those around you and, uh, and to express love in this way. So why don't we do this today? Well, I do, I do truly think, and most theologians and commentators do say, this was indeed a cultural thing. It was a cultural way to express uh, your love and affection to another person and especially to a fellow Christian. Uh, <coughs> But we must always remember 
that when there is a cultural thing being spoken of in Scripture that we might not do today, underneath the cultural surface item is a principle, is a truth, a principle that uh, we do must do today somehow within our own cultures. For example, uh, remember in John 13 when uh, in the upper room Jesus uh, washed the disciples' feet and he, he washed their feet and he said to them, I've washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. If I, the Lord and the teacher, have washed your feet, so should you do to one another. That's a command, do it. We don't do it. Why? We understand it to be cultural. But what is the underlying principle of washing each other's feet? Well, it's humble service. It's ministering to one another. You got smelly feet? Allow me to wash them. It's, it's, it's doing the unpleasant task, sometimes out of love for another person. It might be cleaning up something. It might be helping someone move. It might be something, but there are lots of everyday, in our cultural expressions of, of love and care and, and wanting to do the best for the other person. And, uh, and so I think that would be true with the idea of the holy kiss, because kissing one another in greeting is not common in our culture. And I'm not criticizing that, that's just the way it is, that's okay. But we need to dig down and say what was the principle underlying the holy kiss. And we better make sure we recognize it and practice that amongst ourselves. Handshakes, for sure. We greet. Well, I shook several hands on the way in. You're probably glad I didn't kiss you. But I shook hands. And having been thinking about this, I tried to shake hands with a, with a special intention. You know, we shake hands in a, in a just kind of, that's, that's just what you do. You, you shake several hands, and uh, there might not be much of your heart in your handshake. But I think if anything comes out of the message this morning, there, we want to have heart and feeling and affection in our, even our handshakes or our hugs and embraces. That, that works in our culture, for sure. And, uh, and so I just want to draw our attention back to the, actually the importance of those things. Remember uh, March, the middle of March, 2020? COVID hit. All of a sudden we couldn't shake hands. Like we missed that, I think. I, I, would, I would walk up to people and just kind of like, kind of grab my hand, I, I can't do that. And, uh, and, and, and we missed it because even the, the humble handshake is still human contact, right? It's my hand in your hand. You know the, the historical origins of the handshake? Uh, I mean, it goes way back in history, um, but whatever it is, it, it, it meant either the sealing of an agreement, like I agree and you agree and we, we clasp hands to sort of seal something, make something so, uh, but another uh, historical reason behind the handshake was when a couple of individuals, maybe, maybe men who were fighters or warriors, when they approached each other, if you extended an open hand without a sword in it, and the other person extended an open hand and you clasped hands, it was the intent of peace. I am not holding on to a sword, I'm not going to cut your head off 20 seconds from now. And, uh, and so an, an open hand, grasping an open hand, is a gesture of peace and, and, and acceptance between one another. It's a goodwill gesture. Uh, so that's a good thing. A hand, the humble handshake has more meaning to it than, uh, than we might think. And of course, the embrace, the hug, 
maybe not everybody embraces. You know, maybe everybody shakes hands. Maybe 50% of people hug, and, and, uh, and maybe there's even a few of you who give the, the kiss to one another on the cheek. Um, but uh, uh, whatever, I'm just sort of trying to think through what we do in our own culture these days. I know I'm not alone in this. The family that I was raised in, my parents were Jack and Mary. I had two sisters, and, uh, and it was not an affectionate family. I've told this story to describe this to, to uh, lots of you, and you've said, many of you have nodded, said, me too, you know. And uh, so we didn't hug a lot. We never kissed in my family as I was growing up as a little boy. I can never even remember my, one of my parents, I can never remember my dad saying, he called me Johnny, Johnny, I love you so much, son. Never heard that. Or my mom, the same. I didn't see much affection between my parents. They were loyal to one another to the very end. And I never, I never ever doubted for a moment. I never had the insecurity that I don't feel loved. I felt loved in my family. I knew I was loved, but it wasn't, it was love assumed but it wasn't love expressed. Let's not make that mistake. Let's express it. To me, the holy kiss, or whatever its cultural equivalent, is an expressed love, an expression of affection, an expression of you are meaningful to me, and, 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 and we're brothers and sisters in this family of Christ together. I just wanted to get that said as we started the fall of 2023. And as we launch out as a church, uh, I wanted us to be refreshed and to be thinking about love expressed. The Holy Kiss is not intended, as I said earlier, to be a romantic or sexual thing whatsoever. It's familial. That meaning it's, a, it's an expression of family, a family bonding and family love. Slide five, uh, <clears throat> Leah says, Christ came into the world, sorry, Christ came to create a social reality that transcends that of blood relatives. He came to establish and build his church as not only a people who receive his grace and salvation, but as a family joined together to him, the elder brother, joined together to him, comma, the elder brother, that's Jesus, and through him, the elder brother, to the father by faith. It's a familial act of affection and love. <clears throat> Let's notice something here in, as we read all those verses about greet one another. Paul didn't write greet one another with a kiss. He wrote greet one another with a holy kiss. Judas did not greet Jesus with a holy kiss. It was a deceitful, misleading kiss. A holy kiss should be pure. It should be honoring. It should have no agenda but the expression of affection and warmth such that our Christ-centered family bond is strengthened. The holy kiss should have a, a, an intentionality to it, uh, a meaning to it, or the humble handshake, or the warm hug. The meaning, remembering we're family in Christ. This family that we're in is going to last longer than my earthly family. It's going to last forever. We're brothers and sisters, meaning we have the same Father in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. And it means that our Savior has made this family possible. It, it contains all of that, 
I'm not saying you rattle down through all that list every time you're shaking hands, but, it, but it's there. And I, and I just want to refresh it and bring it back to our thoughts this morning. <clears throat> A word of caution. Let's remember our cultural reality that we live in. Don't rush out of here with a new mission to kiss everything literally that you meet. Generally, our culture doesn't do this. So instead of trying to overturn cultural trends uh, and making people possibly feel awkward, remember, it's not about getting yourself noticed. And it's not about forcing other people to make changes they're not ready for. It's about the sincere and genuine expression of love in a way that works between people in our culture. And so that's what we've been talking about all morning. Final question. <clears throat> Why am I giving this message? Well, it's not because you've all been miserably failing to love one another. I, I recognize lots of love here at Grace Community Church. That's wonderful. I commend you for it. And as the Apostle Paul said, excel still more. Let's just keep on learning how to love. The gospel our church and every church where Christians gather exists because of the love of God. That love of God caused him to take initiative, to send his son. His love for us sinners moved him to come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and to die on the cross, paying the death penalty, not for his own sins because he had none, but for ours, for mine, for yours. And we have many. He invites us to come and acknowledge and repent of our sins and embrace him in trusting faith as our Savior and our Lord. And thus begins, when a person does that, it begins a journey that will last a lifetime of learning to love and to practice his kind of love within our new church family and out into the world in which we live as well. You know what? The strength and attractiveness and effectiveness of a church. What makes a church strong and effective and attractive is directly tied to the love practiced between its members. It really is. And the degree to which we glorify God, and we want to glorify God as a church, oh yeah, well the degree to which we do glorify God is not determined by how loudly we sing, or by, it's great to sing loud, don't get me wrong, but it's not determined by how loudly we sing or by the number of people attending on a Sunday morning. We glorify God when we love each other, sincerely, humbly, and sacrificially, just like our Lord loved us. Not just when it's convenient to love, but especially when it's not. So as we head out into the fall of 2023 here at Grace with the many changes that the next few months will bring to us, including the eventual arrival of our new lead pastor, we must remember something. Let's remember that our church's success is not dependent on its programs, not dependent on its ministries, its music, or its preaching but rather in Christ's kingdom, success is marked by the sincerity and the consistency and the depth of the love shown and experienced by its members. The success of a church is not measured by big crowds, 
but by big hearts. There seems to be a special joy in God's heart when his people love the least and the lowly, not just the popular and the ones with attractive personalities. That's what he did, and he still does, and he calls us to love that way. As I said a moment ago, we'll be hiring a new lead pastor soon, but remember, remember this. Our new lead pastor could be the Apostle Paul himself, and our church could still be a colossal failure if we have not love. Paul stated this as much when he wrote these remarkable words in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to them again, slide 6. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Read, an irritating noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, imagine that. And if I have a faith, and we know how important faith is, if I have a faith that can move mountains but do, do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship so that I may boast, but do not have love, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You're doing well, church. Let's excel still more. Let's pray. Lord, how easy it is to nod our heads in agreement and yet to forget all too quickly that which we all agreed upon a few minutes ago. And so I ask for a special measure of grace from you this morning. The grace to take new ground and hold it fast. The grace to not return to the status quo when life gets busy. The grace to actually grow more loving as a church and as individuals, remembering always that we love because he first loved us. Sing together.